Thank you for calling Gay Wire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello and thank you for choosing option 3. You've reached Gaywire, where everything is at least a little bit queer. I'm your host, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are they, them. Gaywire is, of course, produced for CJSR on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta, land which has been under the stewardship of many indigenous nations for generations, including but not limited to the Nehia, Dene, Nakota Sioux, Anishinaabe, Nitsitapi, and Métis people. Thanks so very much for tuning in. How are y'all doing tonight? Great, great. To be honest, I'm not feeling the whole talking vibe too hard today. It's taking way more effort than usual. So I'm going to treat you to two interviews, and this week's interviews are from some Moroccan trans femme artists, Eve Parker Finley and then Cassia Hardy from the band Wears. The interview with Eve was conducted by Artemis Peasley, who uses she-her pronouns, and the interview with Cassia was conducted by yours truly. I, I do wish I had more words for you today, but so goes the brain sometimes, the body-mind and whatnot. Um, so my community announcements are sorely lacking today, but do be sure to check out the link in our bio for Q Lawrence's wheelchair fundraiser. They are close to their goal, but don't let that dissuade you from donating. In fact, this should push you to donate even more. So if you are able, uh, the link for this fundraiser is in um, our Instagram bio. Our Instagram is at gaywirecjsr. And if you can't donate, then share the link. So you can also hop on over to the Instagram for some occasional story posts. Um, not from me though, because I uh, got logged out of the Instagram on my phone and have yet to log back in because we have a very complicated uh, logging in process. So anyways, um, I'm running out of steam now, so uh, it's time to listen to Artemis's interview with Eve Parker Finley, conducted at the Sled Island Music Festival, uh, right here on Gaywire CJSR, and if you want to hear anything else about Sled Island, uh, do listen to any of our other Sled Island episodes, available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> I'm here at the Ship and Anchor Pub in Calgary for Sled Island, speaking with Eve Parker Finley. Can you just tell me your first name, last name, and pronouns, please? Eve Parker Finley. She, her, hers. Yeah. Easy enough. All right. How are you today, Eve? I'm great. I played my show last night, and now I get to just have fun and see some music. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So... Let's just start at the, uh, the start here. So, 
When did you learn violin? <laughs> well, both my parents are classical musicians, so like I had a violin put into my hand at like three and a half. And did I choose to play it? Probably not, but I am so glad that that happened. And so you've been playing it ever since? Yeah, basically. I almost quit when I was like 12 because I found some of the classical music stuff and culture very difficult to deal with, but then I stuck with it and the, like my relationship to it has changed a lot over the last years, but I'm so glad it's still in my life. And look at you now. Ah! <laughs> uh, and so when did you decide to be a solo artist? So when I moved to Montreal in like 2011, I was 17, and this was like the era of like the tail end of like, you know, the Canadian indie rock explosion. And that was a time when so many bands had strings in their bands and that was the first time where I was like whoa violin could be cool so then I started playing with some friends um, I had a band called Magic Perm a synth pop band which was super fun and then that kind of taught me like how to be in a band and then after one of them moved away um, I started playing music myself like 2015 2016 and uh, what are some of those uh, Canadian indie rock fans that you're talking about there oh, oh. Um, I guess they're not all Canadian, but like, you know, Arcade Fire, um, Broken Social Scene, The National, um, even like Regina Spector, like those bands are all like so influential on my like angsty teen years. The National playing Folk Fest this year in Edmonton. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, so you talked a bit about it there, but who are your musical influences? Um, I would say I pull from like a bunch of different things. So like, I love indie rock bands that have strings that are like beautiful. Um, and But I also feel very influenced by like ambient music, noise music, um, top 40 pop music, uh, and like classical music too. And I feel like I try to like synthesize all those things into what I do. <laughs> and uh, how would you describe your sound? Um, I would say it's like, um, uh, <laughs> I really should be better at saying this by now, but I'm really not. I make music that is like sometimes indie pop, sometimes like contemporary classical, sometimes ambient, and sometimes a little rocky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And uh, people have been very receptive to it. You're uh, fairly popular from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. well, it's funny because when the uh, pandemic happened, I like had just left my full-time job at McGill and I wanted to like be a full-time artist. And all of a sudden I was just like sitting at home with nothing to do all day. And I was like watching uh, TikTok all the time and like so fascinated by like the comedy and music I saw in there and then I just like was like I guess I'll try it to do that and then spent like a year just like posting a bunch of crap and stuff and then somehow like built an audience from that which is so cool and amazing yeah and uh, how would you describe that audience you know like people who listen to Eve Parker Finley what other kind of artists do they listen to what's like the the niche oh oh um I mean I think lovers of any of those genres that I mentioned before um or like you know I often I often list like Enya Robin Moses Sumney Kelsey Lou, Mitski 
as like, if all those people had a musical baby, then they'd be kind of me. <laughs> musical baby, that's, that's funny. Uh, so, uh, something else I was wondering is, why not vocals on every song? Why why only some songs? Well, actually, it's interesting because that, that first album I put out, Chrysalia, it was in 2020, and I um, was very self-conscious of singing. It's like, I used to sing as a child, and then I stopped when my voice changed because I was embarrassed, which is so sad in a way. And it took me a long time to get back into singing. And But when I recorded that album, I still wasn't very confident in myself and singing. So I didn't include them in a lot of songs. But the music that I'm working on now, I feel much more like uh, excited to like take up that kind of space. So let's just say in the future, there'll be more singing. I'm very happy to hear that because you have a very lovely voice. Uh, so what is the process of making the kind of music that you do? Um, the, it, I, I often have like a different starting point. So I'll either start from like, um, violin and looping and then build something out from that. Or I also love playing around on Ableton and creating something and then recreating it and going from that. But the songs that I'm writing now, I also st- I started on piano, which is a has led me sort of like a different direction. So um, it just depends depends on what song I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. 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 And so, do you only play viol? You you just said you just play piano, but like, what other things are you capable of? <laughs> um, I play violin, viola, piano, saxophone, singing. Um, and electronic production. I've spent a lot of time in, over the last few years learning how to do that. Those are my main babies. And I understand that, so you're, you live in Montreal. I understand that there's a big electronic music scene in Quebec. You know, a, a few number of years ago, I interviewed an artist who now lives in Quebec from Edmonton called uh, Sodium Light. Do you know Sodium Light? No? Oh, they're pretty cool. Yeah, Ele- electroacoustic artist. Yeah, pretty cool. So can you tell us a bit about the uh, electronic music scene in Montreal? Totally. Um, I've always loved Montreal's music scene because there's such a like openness to experimentation. And a lot of the bands that I was going to see and a lot of the friends and the music scene that I have there are like people making like ambient music or noise music or like weird, weird indie pop music. And there used to be this place uh, called The Plant in Montreal that was around for like 10 years and it was like a DIY venue in a loft. And um, there's a lot of like very interesting electronic music that came out of that. And going to shows there for years, like is such a huge influence on what I do now. And, yeah, so... <laughs> forgot what I was going to say there for a second. Okay. Uh, so, when I was I was listening to your music when I was in the press room over there at the Ship and Anchor, and I, despite the fact that in most of the songs there were not vocals, I could still definitely feel the emotion so what is the trick to evoking emotion without word yeah I mean um, what is the trick 
to be sad when you're writing it. <laughs> I feel like, like I feel like another influence of mine is like very cinematic, um, like movie music, and I feel like you know strings and orchestra and and like certain kinds of chords and certain kinds of like ethereal sounds. Um, I don't know. I just always I always end up in that direction, and. I'm definitely always thinking about a particular thing or feeling when I write something and I think that if I just like center that in my body and mind when I'm writing it, it'll come across. Or like it'll come across, or someone will like listen to it and interpret their own thing from it, which is also fine. And music theory, is that important? Um, I want to say no, but I don't know if that's fair because I like did learn a lot of music theory. And that's probably influential on how I write, but I never think about. I'm not like I don't think about things mathematically like that. Right. I'm not like oh I'm on a, a this chord, which means I should carry the two and go to this chord. Right. Um, Is that how that works? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's da- it's somewhere in my subconscious, but I definitely don't think about it when right. I'm writing. How'd your show at Sled Island go? I heard I heard it was great. It was fucking awesome. It was maybe the best show I've ever played. The the crowd was like so nice and so fun. People don't often like like whoop or yell when I play music, but they like did and that was so awesome and fun. And I've also been really because I've been recently into doing stand up and comedy too. I've like really been trying to like um have fun with like banter and in between songs and I, I did a bunch of that last night and it was so so fun um but yeah the show was amazing i love i love calgary love sled island <laughs> love calgary uh who 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 at sled island have you uh checked out while you're down here well last night um pony girl who are friends of mine were also playing and they're so incredible um, Lavender Country, so incredible. The stories that he has to share are just so important and amazing. Um, uh, Orchidae, which we just saw here, is so amazing and so wonderful. Tonight, I'm going to go see Jeanette King, who's a friend of mine too, and Sudan Archives, who I think. Obviously, another I'm biased because another violin project. I'm like so cool. But um, those are my main, main people. And... Would you, what kind of music do you think you'll start making in future? Do you think you'll stick with the violin? You know, where, where is Eve Parker Finley <laughs> going with her music? Yeah, I'm going a few different places, but um, I've been working on a set of songs that I'm so proud of, and they'll see the world eventually um, in a bit of time, but... I feel like I'm like stepping into my power a little bit more. I feel like I was a little timid in the music that I made in the past and I don't think that's the case in the future at all and I'm very excited to share it. Violin will always be an important, it's like it's an extension of my like soul and even if I don't always play it now, it's like always going to be an important part of the music that I make. Yeah, I love strings. Strings are just so beautiful. Has, uh, oh, I forgot to ask this one. What is the LGBTQ scene like in Montreal? Uh, we're everywhere. <laughs> um, Montreal is such an amazing queer scene. There's um, so many amazing artists and people and uh, different like aspects of the scene. 
Um, there's obviously the village, but there's also lots of like, I don't know, we're everywhere. And it's great, it's an amazing community. Do you speak French? I do. I like, I don't know if I could work a like full-time complicated job in French, but I know enough to like get around. I actually did um, a French stand-up set for the first time be right before coming here. And that was so terrifying, but it went so well, and um, yeah, so I could, I can do it. <laughs> Couldn't couldn't operate a full time job. Well, you might have to with what's going down there right now, or else you get fined like five thousand dollars or something. You're trying to get me to talk about language politics. <laughs> you know, when life gives you lemonade, uh, lemons, yeah. you know. Here's the deal. I feel like. Uh, I love Quebec a lot. I love Montreal a lot. I think it's a complicated place with a complicated history and a complicated future. And um, I don't know. I just, I want to live in a place where everyone's welcome to be there and supported in being there. And there's certain aspects of that law that I think are so fucked up. It, mostly the like, making uh, people who immigrate to Quebec be able to only receive services in French after six months. I'm like, I get that we want to encourage people to speak French. I actually think that's important and cool. And there's lots of programs to help people do that. But to punish people for not being able to do it, I think is so messed up. Oops. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, I talked to Pat, uh, Patrick about like uh, Roe versus Wade. So you know, when oh, yeah. when when you know you have someone to talk about something, you gotta talk to them about it. So, does your queer identity affect your music at all? Because like you know. Most of the time, you know, I've been talking to a lot of rappers and they're like, you know, like, obviously, you know, like, I'm talking about that. But, you know, with instrumental pieces, obviously, it's not all instrumental, but does, you know, being queer come into that? Absolutely. I think, uh, um, I don't know if it's cheesy to say, but, like, I think there is some connection between being a trans person and making music that, like, goes, like goes across different genres. I didn't want to say it, but yeah. You know, different genres, different genders. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I think I, I've used music a lot to process different aspects of my life. There's like a song I played last night called The Sun and the Moon, and that was written at a time where I was feeling very confused about my own gender identity. This was like eight years ago, and feeling very torn between what path to take. And so whether it's explicit or not, it's definitely baked in there somewhere. Yeah, so can you speak at all on the, uh, like, I feel like, you know, in my, especially, okay, so, like, I'm from Alberta, and in Alberta, there's this, like, joke we have at Gay Wire that all trans women in Alberta make hyper-pop music, <laughs> and it's true, you know, you have yeah. uh, the Liv McRobbie on the show, Pseudo Antigone, uh... Iris, please be nice, who I saw yesterday for the first time. Very nice. So I could, can you say anything about that? I mean, I don't make hyperpop, but I love, I'm so fascinated with the association between trans people, trans women, and hyperpop. And I think it is like so cool that we have a genre of music that is like pioneered by us. 
Um, and I have lots of trans women friends who make hyperpop and are so amazing. Um, and I don't know, inspire me to explore some different sounds and stuff. Um, but I mean, tra trans people have been at the forefront of every cultural movement in some way. And now we're just being recognized for one. Can we expect a Eve Parker Finley hyperpop album in the future? <laughs> I don't know about a hyperpop album, but I um, anything's possible. Uh, who do you make music alongside? Is like when you're producing a song, when you're writing a song, when you're making the music for a song. Is it you, or are there people along the way to help you out? Before this, before this like most recent set of music I've been working on, I've been doing it really solo. Um, I did make a song with my friend Star Amarasu from LA, um, and that was really fun to work on together. And then this latest set of songs I've been working with a dear friend of mine, Nick Schofield, um, who's like the, my producer, co-producer. And uh, it's so fucking fun to work with people that you like respect and who have something interesting to say. and. That collaboration's been awesome and will be something that continues in the future. And so who would you say is your intended audience for your music? Um, like, obviously everyone's like, you know, like, everyone can listen to my music. You know, my music's the best. But, like, who, who are you hoping to reach and be influenced by your tunes? That's an interesting question. I feel like... I don't know if I've, like, thought about it as, like, who are the kinds of people I want to listen to it, but I have been interested to see who has responded to it, and it is, like, a very interesting mixed group of people, like, um, from, like, other queer people of, like, any age to, like, um, to, like, lovers of, like, folk music and songwriting or, or, or classical music, um, or people who are interested in like experimental pop music and uh, I don't know everyone's invited to the party <laughs> I guess <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah at your show there was like a lot of people who turned up and you know obviously you've reached a large audience yeah so like I don't know where I was going with this question I, I feel like I was gonna lead that into somewhere but I don't know now well, Speaking on that, something I think is very fascinating is because the last two years have been so virtual-based, I've, like, met a lot of people or a lot of people have started following me on the internet, and now that I'm, like, finally getting around and touring and stuff, it's, like, so fascinating to meet people in real life. <laughs> and uh, that's been such a fun aspect of Sled Island to actually get to meet people in the flesh. And you're verified on Instagram. Verified, baby. <laughs> I, you know, what made you feel that this was the time to get verified? Because I've talked to a lot of artists and, like, none of them other than you are verified. I know. It's, it's like, I, I kind of hate the verification system. Like, I don't like that it's a hierarchy of, like, ooh, she's got a blue check mark. That means what? You know? It's like, but, um... My, uh, my my label that I released the first album with, Coax Records, helped me pursue that. Um, and it was because it was around a time where I got a few articles written with the, or a few video and articles with CBC. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's also nice to be recognized as like a person putting a lot of things out into the world. And it's the 
Instagram overlords being like, yes, she is a person. <laughs> I, I'm talking to her right now. You, di you did it right, Instagram. Yeah, in the flesh. Yeah, uh, no, coming back. Okay, so, like, w w what's your journey been like coming to this point where you're talking with Artemis Peasley, she, her, on Gaywire 88.5 FM out of the University of Edmonton, Alberta, in Edmonton? <laughs> My journey, I mean, something I've been thinking about a lot is I, I used to have a very intense job where I was working full-time and music and art was something I sort of did on the side as like a fun thing and at the end of 2019 I had this real moment where I was like oh my god I actually really want to be an artist and that feels so scary and impossible and I ended up leaving that job in February 2020 and I was like now I can just be a full-time musician which is a really funny time to choose to do that <laughs> but um I don't know it's also like it has really worked out in this incredible way and I'm so grateful for having taken that plunge so that's part of my journey it's kind of insane how much this uh, pandemic has really like affected all of the artists here like you know I, I'd say like at least half of the people I've talked to didn't really kickstart their shit until like when they had nothing else to do. Can you speak about that? Yes, you know what else it is though? It's, it's people had time, but people also had government support and they didn't have to rely on, like, I think, I really think, I wish someone studied this, like, I think having the CERB where we all got paid monthly for like a year has led to so many people creating art and music and pursuing things that they wouldn't otherwise and that's why I think something like universal income is actually such an incredibly amazing idea in a way that we don't quite realize unless we did it um, or kept doing it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the pandemic really gave a lot of people a chance to be like, what do I want my life to look like? And what do I want to spend my time doing? And now here we all are trying to figure it out again. Hey, CRTC, you hear that? Instead of policing our content, maybe you could tell JT to give us some universal basic <laughs> income, and then you'll have some content to be proud of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not making it in. I will, I, our show will get canceled, yeah. Fuck you, CRTC. I hate CanCon. Um, but yeah, no, it's like, did you ever expect to be here in Calgary playing at Sled Island like this is my first Sled Island but even I know that Sled Island is like a massive deal yeah and I, I had so many friends who've played this festival over the last like 10 15 20 years or however long it's been going and I've always heard about it and never made it out and so is this your first Sled Island too yeah it is my first one but it's definitely not my last <laughs> mine either yeah uh, so, like, what kind of shows have you played in the past for for your music? Have you been uh, going around touring at all? It's actually funny. I like my, this project of my own music. I really have not toured that much at all. I've played in Ottawa and other I've, another place in Ontario, and uh, but mostly in Montreal. Like, I really was nurtured by a very tight knit DIY music community, and there's a bunch of bars and 
venues and places that I would just constantly be playing and trying things out and experimenting. And I, I'll never forget that I've played at least one show where one person came. Um, and <laughs> but I'm so grateful for that because it's really taken a lot of it takes a lot of time to figure out how you want to actually sound. I think um, a lot of bands starting out maybe are impatient about wanting to play for big crowds, but I really appreciated playing for incredibly small rooms for so many years. Uh, and uh, yeah, is there any like artists or like venues, people in general that you want to shout out? In Montreal? In general, in your life, man. Um... I mean, so many. I also work for Pop Montreal now. I organize the symposium, which is the workshops and panels that happen during the festival, which happens in late September. That's a great festival. Um, oh my god, I'm I'm too. There's like there's I have so many friends who are musicians, and I'm like, oh my god, I should like list them all right now. But yeah, um, go for it, whatever. Oh my god, <laughs> Tanya Iyer. Um, Pompey, Emily Kahn, Tess Roby released an amazing album recently. Nick Schofield, my producer, also put out an amazing album, Glass Gallery, recently. Um, uh, Corey Gulkin, um, um, Cedric Noel uh, had an amazing album that just got longlisted for the Polaris to Adelaide. Um, there's so many other people I'm like I'm, I'm too nervous to forget someone so I'm just gonna stop right there <laughs> yeah no that's fair that's fair let me just make sure let me see how many questions I have here um oh yeah so like uh, where can people see you in future what are you gonna be up to Eve Parker Finley yeah I mean I have one more show at a music festival called West Bend in Ontario in mid-July and then I'm taking a break, um, but I'll be back with a couple shows in Montreal in the fall. And then next year, early next year, I have big plans for fun things that I will talk about more later. Can we expect a show to Edmonton? I would love to. I don't know how I could, but I would love to. <laughs> Th things happen, man. Things happen. Uh, I was going to... Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Eve Parker Finley, that is your name. What influenced the decision to not go under a stage name? Oh. Well, I actually used to have a stage name called Lonely Boa, and it was actually a, I had conversations with Nick about like um, whether that still made sense. I I liked having a stage name, but I also didn't because it it separated the musical things that I do from everything else that I do and. It was also just this moment of like wanting to step into my own power and be like, this is who I am. I'm a, I make music, I make comedy, I make lots of things, and it's all Eve. Um, and I haven't looked back, and I, lo I love having a, I love using my own name. So you're a comedian. Can you tell us a joke? Oh, God. Um, do you know why Geminis are so beautiful? Why is that? It's because they're really good at makeup. Um, but that's what happens when you have two faces to practice on. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's Are a good you a one. Gemini? No, I'm a, I'm Aries or whatever. Um, but okay, let's ask some questions about comedy because I, I don't know I don't know much about that. Okay, so I interviewed uh, uh, the director and two cast members of a 
uh, queer play that's happening in Edmonton right now called The Immaculate Beauty of Bleeding and Fucking in the Gender-Neutral Bathroom of an Upper-Middle-Class High School about a trans girl who uh, immaculately conceives a baby despite never, uh, you know, having... uh, Anyway, so uh, Monica Gate of that that show uh, is a comedian, and I asked her about uh, women in comedy. Women in comedy are less popular. They're less, uh, you know, um, seen, I guess. And, uh, like, what is the reason behind this? Is it because of the women making the jokes, or is it something else? It's fucking sexism. It's, like, most, most industries and most art industries so bizarrely... Um, have been controlled by men for so long and there are so many fucking talented, amazing, funny women and non-men. I feel like I've been so lucky that I stepped into comedy at a time where now, like Montreal has a really amazing um, like DIY comedy scene that is very much run by queer people, women, and like they have shows, they support each other, we like learn from each other, and that I'm so lucky to have that. And I think there's so many people that are so talented and amazing. And in in a few years, a lot of those people are gonna be huge, and I can't wait. I hope you'll be huge too. You're on hey. the way, I'd say. Thanks. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you'd like to add to the people out there, Eve Parker Finley? Um. No, thank you to the people of Edmonton. I will come visit very soon. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Eve Parker Finley, for talking to me today. Bye. You just heard Eve Parker Finley talking with Gay Wire reporter Artemis Peasley, and if you missed out on this fabulous interview for whatever reason, perhaps you turned off the radio accidentally, of course, I, it happens to the best of us, uh, please do head on over to your favorite podcasting platform and search Gay Wire CJSR immediately. Um, unless you're driving, don't go on your phone, but if you have a passenger, hand them your phone or get them to do it on their phone, just like follow us on the podcasts, it does make us feel very good so and you can listen to gay wire wherever you want whenever you want as uh discussed before the interview the brain is just not having it the body mind is telling me i need to take it easy so we have a second interview next up we'll be hearing from cassia hardy about her experience as a musician Please enjoy this interview. Yeah, hi, my name's Cassia Hardy and my pronouns are she and her. I'm a, I'm a musician and a songwriter working in Amiskachi, Edmonton. Um, I've been performing for quite a number of years with uh, my main project called Wares, W-A-R-E-S. I also uh, often support other artists playing other instruments, but um, chances are if you'll see me on stage, I am playing guitar and uh, shouting. 
so I guess let's start with the with the music. So how did you end up um, getting into music? Oh, I've been involved in music. Uh, like I've I've been playing an instrument for for most of my life in one form or another. Um, I made a really concerted effort to get into the Edmonton music scene around 2013, 2014. There was a, a quite a strong like garage rock scene in small venues across White Ave. Um, listeners in, in like my age group will probably remember Wonder Bar. Uh, that was very foundational to my taste and um, used to go there quite often. And uh, yeah, it was really important to me. And kind of more recently, I'm just coming at the time of this interview, I'm coming from uh, some performances at Sled Island Music and Arts Fest in Mokinstis, Treaty 7. And um, and it's one of my favorite parts about living on the prairies. It's a beautiful uh, gathering of music and art, and I've been I've had the privilege of being involved for on and off over the last uh, seven years, and uh, as a performer. And um, between those two two things, like just lots of club shows in Edmonton and and festivals on the prairies, uh, I, I suddenly found that it was my life. Yeah. So, um, what would you say inspires your your music? Hmm. Um. I'll say primarily, I've always mostly considered myself like a writer of melody. That's the thing that always comes first. It's, it's never in short supply, I guess. Um, what's really tough for me are the words, because if I write a melody that I like, I want, I don't, they can't just be any old words, you know? So um, most recently with my solo work, um, I, I guess I've been trying to really write and reflect on the personal relationships in my lives um, and the many kinds of, of love you can encounter in, in community and in queer community um, and how relationships can grow over time. Um, you know, old roommates, people you don't see anymore, um, people who passed away, just uh, I, I've been taking a lot of joy this year in honoring those relationships in song. And um, yeah, and then there's the band that like wears and we put out a record called Survival in 2020. And that was an earlier point in that reflection, kind of uh, a more inward journey, but realizing at the end that um, all this all this work of self-actualization that we have that we have to do to be like um, caring individuals in society, it needs to come together with all of us working together to uh, overthrow capitalism. That's very important to me. And so I guess with the band, um, I've just been really trying to dig deeper with that theme because the last two years have been um, infuriating and radicalizing for me and, and many others listening, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of, so you said that you find the, the melody first and then the words um, have to be very particular uh, to sort of bring justice to, to that melody. How do you know uh, once you've found the, the, the right words? Hmm. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time. Like I've had songs that have been written over a period of years um, and I've, you know, crumpled and uncrumpled various lyric sheets. And sometimes it's... Um, it's just a matter of like um, not second guessing what's right in front of you. And other times I, I do have like a really specific vision of what I want to talk about. Um, like, I guess a, a good example would be um, the song survival, like the, the title track off the album. Um, I'd had that riff. It's quite a, quite a driving like punk rock song. And um, I, I'd, I'd had that melody for 
quite a long time, many, many months. And I'd been like, yeah, just many drafts of lyrics. Nothing was really working about it. I thought I was going to write it about my transition. I thought it was just going to be like kind of maybe more of a, a throwaway track as like loath as I am, as I was to say that at the time. And then um, I remember waking up in the morning, I, th I think it was like May 30th, uh, 2019, and Jason Kenney was doing a press conference at a gas station to announce the repeal of the carbon tax. And they had to, um, like this whole press conference was when there was like so much wildfire smoke in the sky that he was like coughing his way through it, you know? And there was people, um, I remember coughing in like the legislature when they were trying to make their presentations, like decrying this. And it just was such a, a powerful and singular image in my mind that I actually wrote those lyrics in basically like a day uh, and then they were, they were finished, you know? So um, yeah, there's, there's months where nothing happens and, and then sometimes everything just comes to you. Yeah. Um, so clearly your art is very married to your, your political um, identity. Uh, would you, would you like to speak more about how they sort of like feed into each other? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, it was coming to a realization that, or like, you know, um, with help from outside reading sources, obviously, that we are all like political people. Art is political. We're not, we're not separate from it. And you can make efforts to extricate yourself from it and, you know, um, and pr try and present something different. But we're informed by our material conditions. Like that's, you know, all my ideas, at least, I, I try to really... Um, I try to really dig into that and I it's living as an artist on the prairies and deciding to, you know, put down roots here. Um, I think the way that I can um, most effectively, most effectively do that is to really question my relationship to this land, question my relationship to the, to the forces of production in this province. And um, yeah, I, it's, there's a lot to talk about there and I don't think it should, we should just leave it to like, stuffy conservatives in suits to like look into economics and and like talk and yell and sing about um the forces that make up our everyday lives and and the ways they can be better and there's there's so many ways they can be better yeah um so something that i really like is the term um prairie queer um how how would you define prairie queer like what what does being prairie queer mean to you Ooh, I like that question. No one's ever asked me that before. I've mostly just gone based on vibes, but um, yeah, I mean, there's so many, there is, there's so much variation to it, you know, like I know urban farmers, I know like people who are really interested in, um, yeah, working with the land, deepening relationships to it. I know like me, I'm such a city kid, you know, I love living where the action is, uh, so to speak. And I don't know, for me, it's just, it's community where we've, where we've come up. I'm, I'm the people I, I try and find common cause with are the other people who are like putting down roots in Treaty 6, Treaty 7, you know, anywhere in like the Western Prairie, um, you know, the Métis homelands, like, um, these are the people I I want to know and people who have who understand like how settler colonialism has um so like fundamentally disrupted this land and 
um, people I can work together with to free ourselves from like colonial gender binaries and colonial ideas of love and family and, and colonial ideas of what like growth and prosperity looks like. That's what it means to be a prairie queer to me. Absolutely. That's, that's a lovely definition. I've never provided one or gotten one before. Um, but I've noticed it as this sort of theme and it was just very interesting. Okay, my dog is being super needy today. It's really, it's a lot. Your, uh, the 2020 album Survival, um, I've encountered that before and I've seen it uh, compared to other like trans femme artists. Um, do you, how, how do you feel about sort of being placed in a genre of trans femme experimental rock-ish whatnot um versus just like being placed in a not trans version of that genre yeah um i mean experimental rocking like trans women uh are sick like i want to meet as many of them as i can and that's kind of what one song on that record is is about. It's called Tall Girl. And it's about um, a trans woman who I, I kind of saw around in my high school. I like, uh, I went to high school in a Catholic high school about, you know, 10 plus years ago. And it's just, just the, everything was different about, about the culture at that point. And, um, you know, the, the mistake that I made was that I didn't really make an effort to get in touch and I didn't really make an effort to connect because I, I wasn't out and I had so much that I needed to learn about myself first. And so that song is a way of like, yeah, trying to remember and, and honor her and, and just hope that she's doing all right wherever she is. And that song has had such an amazing effect of, of women reaching out to me and say, and like telling them that uh, I, I maybe connected a little bit. I, I, I touched on something and um, I, I just think that's really valuable. It always really like, it makes my year when that happens, you know, when people reach out and tell me that that song means something to them. Um, and I'll say like in my time in my t like time touring and, and playing gigs around, like, um, I haven't really encountered the situation where like the only gigs I'm getting are like queer nights where I'm playing with like, you know, only maybe it's like us, like a full four piece rock band. And then maybe people playing like acoustic instruments or just like that amount of disparity. That's not really happening to us. What I'm seeing is that we've mostly been playing with like dudes and like this other section of the indie rock world and over time and like coming to other territories and and getting to know the lay of the land there we've been slowly meeting other queer people and and um it's all you know you're trying to find like the through line the places where it converge converges and it's it's weirdos who um may or may not be queer but are definitely like um cool and emotionally open and and um ideally some strain of socialists, but you know, we, we, that takes time. We work on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a lot of the, the, the themes of, of your music are, are about community or barriers to community or opening or like unexpected openings to, to community. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about like the importance of the ideas of, of community and, and connection and, and, uh, like family building? Mm hmm. Well, um, I mean, it's, I think it's really important that 
we um, we learn how to listen to each other and um, treat each other with respect and kindness. My experience in the Edmonton music scene, um, honestly, it's like I've been very welcomed from the get go. I've had a lot of good experiences. Um, it's difficult to call it a community when over the years I've I've seen it. Like I think there are little communities inside the Edmonton music scene. Um, I don't think that there's a level of community organizing in the Edmonton music scene to call it a community. Uh, it's a very that's a very special word, and I've learned to make that distinction. Where before the lines were very blurred, and um, you know, I I just had a less coherent outlook, I suppose, on it. Um, I think that for us to call it a community, we'd need to be able to move beyond certain rooms, and we'd be able to move beyond. Um, we'd be able to like, you know, grow bigger than um, the infrastructure that surrounds us and, and problems and that we have in the music industry, like um, the reliance, the financial reliance on alcohol. Uh, I think it's really like, um, I would really love to be able to center more like um, sober voices in the music scene and people that understand that we need to be like bigger than the rooms, which keeps getting keep getting swept swept out from under us, and be able to meet each other on issues that also don't directly affect us, and practice solidarity with with other communities um, and other disciplines and other arts. I I think there are a lot of good people who are community minded in Amiskoshi, and that's why I'm I'm happy to live here. Um, and I, I would really love to see like a raising of, of class consciousness in my time here that we can we can all come together and practice uh, community practices and, and really grow deep and strong bonds. And I'll say that's going to be really hard to do so long as uh, the Alberta government like continues to devalue arts and continues to um, and, and like our society generally continues to treat real estate and infrastructure as like a private speculative practice because artists are going to continue getting marginalized. Obviously not only artists, like everyone who's not, um, not a rich capitalist is going to keep getting pushed to the margins. If we don't practice, uh, if we don't like fundamentally change our relationship to property and if we don't fundamentally change our relationship to arts and culture, it's not a product. It's something that human beings do and practice and make. Um, and it's one of the joys of being alive. And if we are able to prioritize that and uh, make it clear that we value that societally, then I think we'll see a lot more people staying here as opposed to moving to coastal centers. And that's when we can maybe have a more generative talk about about community building and see what it really looks like. Yes. Um, in your ideal world, what sort of collective organizing would would come about from from the Edmonton arts scene? Okay. Here's my, here's what I want to see. Here's like, this would be so cool. I want a three-story building. The top two floors are education and it's access to instruments similar to, you know, like an instrument library. So much of this is just like copy pasted from the makerspace in the Stanley Milner library. Um, Stanley Milner library rocks, like massive shout out to them. Libraries are the coolest. So the top two floors would be like access to instruments. You come anytime you play the thing. And then there are also classes, uh, beat making, like beat matching, playing whatever acoustic or electric, electronic instruments um, you want. And then the bottom floor is a 500 person concert hall. Um, 
I haven't made up my mind if it's licensed or not, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it's all ages for sure. Accessible, you go in and um, the top two floors create the lineup that plays on the bottom floor. You know, you know what I mean? The people going to the classes, the people learning how to be TJs, the people learning how to be producers, they get an opportunity to play and um, through grants and whatever else, like the rent is is secondary. We don't need to sell however many beers a night to survive. It's just, um, it's a platform for, for people to come and see music and participate. And it would maybe operate a bit on a co-op model. So if you bought into a membership, you would be able to play and see shows and it would be like a rotating schedule I suppose that's that's like <laughs> I think about that every day. I mean, this was a while ago, but uh, I was part of Camp Firefly in 2017 and you were the artist in residence there. And definitely the seeds of what you were doing there. I can see this, the uh, similarities between that and your um, three story amazing building. <laughs> what would you call it? Oh, I I don't know. Um, I'm not I'm not great with names, hence where's. But um, I like just on Camp Firefly. That was amazing. That was an amazing time. That was such a big learning experience for me. I'm so glad. Like, um, I'm so glad you were there. I'm so glad that we like. Um, you know, I, I'm happy that at that time that was like a really important resource for for queer youth. It seemed to me, and I hope that its current form is like it's still reaching people um and still you know people are making memories and good connections um yeah like that i remember talking a lot with people at the time especially like cis people and people that weren't like maybe in the queer community and um i was starting to get questions and comments like oh what is it feel to like to be like a role model or like a, a leader in like the queer community and i felt I just like it felt so wild to me. And ever since then, I've, it's almost been like, I think it's really important to like decenter myself in this because we are, we are like, maybe I've been like alive longer or I've had access to like certain strains of, of learning. And it's, it's up to me to be a conduit to share that. And like, just because maybe I'm one like concentration point that disseminates knowledge that I don't think that really necessarily makes me a leader or a role model. I just think it um, makes me a point of sharing. And I think, uh, I, I really have, I take a lot of joy in sharing yeah. and sharing knowledge and empowering other people. And that's kind of what informs like my, what I'd like to inform, like any kind of infrastructural or like non-musical practice is just like getting as much knowledge out there. Demystifying the creative process is, is really, um, a cool thing to think about for me. Um, so then how do you de demystify the creative process? Um, Good open conversation. Uh, I I love people just you know coming and asking questions on whatever platform. Um, you can find me at, at Where's Music or at Cassia.Hardy and just send me a DM like, hey, how do guitar pedals work? And I'll like I'll like you'll get the next hour of my time. Like, oh, it's so cool. Let me tell you, um, you know, or it's like, um, I I don't know. I'd love to maybe once we're truly done and dusted with this pandemic, we, we be able to maybe talk about in-person uh, gatherings and skill sharing and um, yeah, maybe programming through through different outlets. Like I've been lucky enough to, to work with Alberta Music on a few different occasions, both as a songwriting mentor and, um, you know, facilitating my friends, teaching th like uh, my friend Layla, who is a guitar builder. Uh, she ran a, a workshop on guitar setups and, um, 
you know, orgs like Alberta Music, I think, can be can be pretty helpful with with um, gaining skills. And um, perhaps you'll see me more integrated there in the future. Yeah. Um, so then, when when folks listen to your music, um, how how do you hope they feel? I try and provide a release for people. I try and you know the thing that I I just love rock and roll music. I love really loud fast guitar music. I love the swelling in my chest that you get when you're watching a band and everything's really tight and coming together and it's this crescendo. You know, that's what I want to give to people. And I don't know, all I can do is reach deeply within inside myself and my own experiences and throw it out there. And, you know, if it reaches you there too, then then great. Like come to a show and let's let's talk about it. Um that's you know that's how I want people to feel like I you know I just I want people to know that they're they're not alone and um I'm around like let's hang out yeah um so we're sort of coming to a little bit of a close now um so just to make sure that everyone can find your music uh where can your music be found uh exclusively or like on Bandcamp largely uh I'm on all the streaming you know the stuff whatever but um. I got really mad at Spotify. Spotify is really disrespectful to artists, in my opinion. So uh, the le- there's like kind of the bare minimum of, of stuff on like the streaming apps. Um, where's W-A-R-E-S dot bandcamp dot com is where you'll find like all of my recorded output or most of it. And then um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter um, or TikTok once I, whenever I get that going. Um, Whereas music, or for me personally, and um, my personal endeavors, like sometimes I support other artists, uh, at Cassia, C-A-S-S-I-A, dot Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y. Awesome. Thank you so very much. Um, and then just closing off, is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, yeah, anything else that you'd like to share? The floor is open. Oh, no, I don't know. Thanks so much for having me. Um, this is like, you know, shout out to Gaywire, shout out to CJSR. Um, yeah, community radio, over corporate radio, any day of the week. Um, yeah, and yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. You just heard myself speaking with Cassia Hardy about her experience as a prairie queer artist. Please tune in next week to hear more Prairie Queer content, and until then, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm, and on Facebook and Twitter at Gaywire, and at GaywireCJSR on Instagram and TikTok. Let us know what you think of the show, hit up the DM sometime, or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email gaywirecjsr at gmail.com, and you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson, and our original music is by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Until next time, please remember to change your socks almost as often as you remember to change your underwear and do laundry before everything topples over. And... Please stay on the line.